Endless tragedies are happening all over the world. Why don't you do anything to stop it? God, why can't I stop sinning? I try so hard, but it doesn't do any good. I wonder sometimes whether God really does exist with all the chaos that's going on. If you're there, if you really love us, God, why is all this crap happening in our family? Hello, Woodland Hills. Good to see you all here this morning. We are in the middle of this series uh, that we are indecorously entitling Crap Happens uh, because we couldn't think of a nicer way to express the depth of what we're getting at. Stuff hits the fan sometimes. And we're asking why and how to respond to it. I want to thank Shauna for uh, doing a great job last week. Wasn't great, a great uh, message she gave? It's very clear uh, that she is better at preaching than I am at announcing. Uh, so I'll, I'll, we're not going to trade off too often like that. But I appreciate the job that she did. So we're this morning looking at, we're all, each message is looking at different aspects of crap happening. Um, and this morning we're looking at unfairness, how arbitrary, how unjust life can be, how fickle it can be, how chancy it can be. Stuff just happens. And I want to begin by having you imagining this story. There's a, a, a family, a little peasant. Oh, by the way, yes, I got to remember this. Got to remember this. Thank you for reminding me. Um, we are going to be taking questions at the end of this message, if I can be succinct enough, which I have trouble being especially this morning. But uh, as I'm going through this message, we're going to try to leave time at the end of it for questions. So as I'm going through the message, uh, you can uh, text in questions. That's what Shana was doing with that little thumb game. You thought she was referring to thumb wrestling, but she's actually saying, no, text in questions to this number, uh, 651-321-3030. That's 651-321-3030. If you forget the number, it's in the bulletin. And if you don't have a, a telephone that texts or you don't yet know how to text, uh, you can write it out the old-fashioned dinosaur way and put it at the table in the back. Uh, we got some envelopes, and we're going to try to take two or three questions um, at the end uh, of, of the message. So, imagine this. There's a, a peasant Jewish family. We'll call them the Goshens. Uh, in the 6th century B.C., 600 years before Jesus was uh, born. Uh, and they're living, you know, kind of along the northern pa- uh, border or the, the coast of Palestine in a little town. It's an actual town called Arvad. 6th century B.C. And um, the Goshens, they have a husband and wife, two kids. Uh, the son's name, he's an eight-year-old named Zach. And um, uh, like many Jewish peasants in the 6th century B.C. in the town of Arvad, they make their living by basically being tenant farmers. Uh, they live off of someone else's land, some wealthy land over living over in Persia, the center of the empire. And um, uh, they never even see the guy, but he owns the land. And they're sort of the servants that work the land. And they they get paid by being able to live off of some of their produce, but basically they're there to make the, the, the rich guy rich. Um, but they've got a pretty good life there in Arvad. Most of the Jews at this time in the 6th century have been deported. They're over there in Persia um, and, and um, I, I, under the king there because the Persian Empire has expanded and kind of just enveloped uh, the, the Jewish people. But they leave these settlements that are in place to keep the wealthy people in Persia wealthy, and so that's where the Goshens are. But things are going reasonably well. I mean, there's a lot of political turmoil around because Persia is always sort of pushing the envelope, flexing their muscles. So there's a lot of warfare in the area. But in Arvad and along that northern coast, for at least 20, 30 years, there's a lot of peace. And so for Jewish peasants in the 6th century, they can't complain. Now, things all of a sudden start turning worse for some reason. All of a sudden, the atmosphere changes. 
They were safe for decades, and all of a sudden, bandits start breaking in. There's always bandits in those days. And uh, they're breaking, they, they, they come and they start raiding the towns, these, these, these groups of people. Um, and there's something in this, among the citizens where they start getting snippety towards one another. There's a, a level of hostility that starts to happen there. Um, the, 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 the sun's too hot and it doesn't rain enough, so the crops get scorched, so the economy starts to go south. Things are just looking bad. Illnesses start to break out. Worst thing is that the landlords, uh, whenever the economy gets tough, they start putting a squeeze on the poor people. So they, they, most of these folks are deeply in debt. That's why they, they have to just work the land for these rich people. They're in debt. And these landlords start to call in on the debts. We want you to pay what you owe us on top of working the land. Most of these people can't do that, including the Goshens. So what happens in the ancient world if you can't pay your debts is that the powerful people come and they take your kids and make servants out of them. And that's what happens to Zach. This landlord, he decides he wants his, to call in the debt, maybe to appease the third wife he just took on who wants her own servant. He's not a servant, so he's looking for an opportunity uh, to get an extra servant in the household. So he sends his soldiers over there, and they get Zach. And they bring him over into this landlord's home in Persia, which is probably a step up for Zach. It's better than working the farm, but now the family's torn apart. And the Goshens are wondering why. How could this happen to us? Our, our, our son taken away from us, now a servant in this landlord's house in Persia. Meanwhile, let's go over to Persia. Most of the Jews are living there because they've been deported, as I said before. One of these Jews' name is Daniel. You may have heard about him in the Bible. He's a righteous guy, knows God. He's been promoted a lot in the government of Persia because of his wisdom and ability to interpret dreams and things like that. And he's praying and fasting that, that, that God would deliver Israel, or at least deliver a message uh, for for the, the, the Jewish people. He's interceding. And for 21 days he prays, and for 21 days he fasts. And finally, an angel shows up, startles the daylights out of him, as you can understand. But uh, the angel says this. Here, here's, here's what takes place. Daniel chapter 10. The angel says, Don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I've come in response to them. But see, the prince of Persia, this is a principality in power. This is a, a high-ranking angel who's, who's now turned against God. Apparently is, has authority in this area. The prince of Persia resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, one of these highest-ranking uh, angelic authorities, he came to help me because I was detained there with the, the prince of Persia. He needed help being freed up. Then the angel says to Daniel, soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go, the prince of Greece will come. That can't be good. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. And then the angel says, for reasons that aren't clear to me, sort of like just complains to, to Daniel, no one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. I, 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 there's no one here to help me fight the prince of, 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 of Persia and the prince of Greece except, uh, Greece. Yeah, Greece, except Michael. Uh, your prince. Michael was apparently this archangel that was in charge of uh, the prince, the leader of, of uh, or at least the, the guardian angel of, of the Jewish people. So here we have this situation where God answers this prayer immediately, but it's detained 21 days because of the interference in the spiritual realm. Now here's the thing. Back in Goshen, the folks are getting together wondering why every, I mean, back in Arvad, where the Goshens live, people are getting together and wondering, why has this happened to us? Why has this tragedy happened to the Goshens? And why has our town, which for, for decades was, was so peaceful, all of a sudden been ransacked by bandits and the economy's gone belly up and the rain's not raining and the sun's shining too hot and the landlords are calling in their debt? Why is this happening to us? 
And some of the people gather around the Goshens and they say, well, it must be because of some sin in your life. Or you lack faith. Maybe if we tithe better or went to the synagogue more or prayed a little more, then we wouldn't have had these terrible things happen. And especially you, the Goshens, you know, well, you must have done something. To, you know, God's got it in for you because your son just got taken away. Then there's other people who gather around the Goshens and they say, oh, no, no, no. See, the sovereign God just does what he wants. It's not about, don't blame yourself. It's not about your faith or righteousness or anything like that. Uh, it says the sovereign God decrees these things, and for whatever reasons, he decreed that your family would be broken apart and decreed that the bandits would come and the sun would shine too hot and the rain, would fall too, uh, rain wouldn't fall enough and our economy would go belly up and, and things of that sort. So it's just all, all God's will. And the first, uh, the, the first group that says, blames it on the, on the Goshens, they, they end up blaming people for what's going on. The other group blames God for what's going on. But in fact, for all we know, could have something to do with something totally unrelated to either their faith or just what is God's will. Think about this. Before Michael, the archangel, got called over to do this uh, warfare in Persia, what was he doing? He was doing something. Angels, like human beings, are given a job description. In fact, we read in Psalms 82, and, and it's hinted at in other places, that one of the jobs of these high-ranking uh, angelic authorities is to oversee people groups, oversee cities like Persia or Greece or the, the Israelites. Uh, and, 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 and some do it well, and some turn against God, like the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece. So if for all we know, it could have been the case that Michael, who was in some sense having authority over the Israelites, was in charge of the area that included Arvad. And Michael the archangel there was using his influence to bring about peace and to bring about justice and the well-being of the people of Arvad. And maybe that's one of the reasons why things were going pretty well in Arvad up till all of a sudden things go south. When that influence is gone, all of a sudden now the bandits come and, and, and the economy goes, goes belly up and things of that sort. So for all we know, it had nothing to do with the faith of the people or the righteousness of the people of Arvad. It had nothing to do with what is God's ideal will, but it had a whole lot to do with the fact that this angel got relo- relocated in strategic warfare. In fact, it's not, it, it could be a lot more complex than that. Because the, re- the reality is, Michael the archangel wouldn't have had to be ro- re- relocated from where he, what he was doing in Arvad to now doing warfare over Persia. He wouldn't have had to be relocated if it wasn't for the fact that the Jewish people were in captivity in Persia. And they wouldn't have been in captivity in Persia if they hadn't rebelled against God. But maybe they wouldn't have rebelled against God if, for all we know, Solomon had better been, been a better king two centuries earlier and uh, not made these poor decisions that divided uh, the empire into two different empires, the North and the Southern Empire, making them both more vulnerable to, to, to enemy influence and, and uh, uh, lessening the, the godly influence in both areas. But maybe Solomon would have been a better king if David had been a better father. He spent too much time on the battlefields and didn't spend enough time with his son, for all we know. But of course, David wouldn't even been king if Saul had been a good king because he was God's first choice. But of course, Saul wouldn't have been king if the people of Israel hadn't rebelled in the first place because God didn't want him to have a king in the first place. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. And there's all these ifs that are really behind the scenario that led to the deportation of Zach. And, and a multitude, a, a trillion, in fact, a trillion, trillion decisions on the part of human beings, on the part of angelic beings that influence the way history unfolds. Our decisions make a difference. Every decision we make is a vote that influences the way things unfold to some degree. And there's a trillion, trillion decisions that influence the circumstance that led to uh, this tragedy that happened to the Goshens in the town of Arvad in the 6th century BC. But of course, no human being could possibly know all about those trillions of trillions of decisions in the angelic realm and the human realm. Which is why something like 
Zach's deportation strikes us as utterly arbitrary. Absolutely unfair. It just happens. In fact, not just Zach's deportation, but why Japan, uh, rather than any other nation, is, is hit with an earthquake. Or why this kid gets cancer, but the other kid gets healed. Or why this family breaks up, the other family doesn't. Or you name it. In fact, not only bad events, but any, any event, any happening whatsoever. Why do I have a purple cup up here on the stand right now? Why is it purple, not brown, not white? Why is it filled with water instead of orange juice? Why am I drinking anything up here? Well, you could say, well, that's because I chose it, but I, the reason I chose it was because of a lot of influences, though I could have chosen differently, of course. But for all I know, the reason I have a purple cup up here filled with water instead of a white cup filled with orange juice is to have something to do with my grandfather or my great-great-grandfather uh, coming over here from Ireland, and he drank too much. I don't know. But that's the point. We can't know these things. We can't know these things. This, the, the happenings of this world, good and bad, are just capricious. They're arbitrary. They just unfold. We can't know that. And then there's a whole angelic realm. No one in, in, in Arvad would have known about Michael the archangel's influence, and now it was there, then it was called off, and it had something to do with strategy in the spiritual realm. We can't know those things. What we can know, what we must know, what we've got to lock in is this. That all that iffiness, all that unfairness, all that chanciness, that capriciousness, that arbitrariness, it has to do with the nature of creation, not the nature of God. God created a world where there are beings, angelic and human, that are capable of love and therefore have a vote. They, they, they choose. We have free will. And all of those votes influence what comes to pass. God's in control of the whole show, of course. He's sovereign. He wins in the end. But still, every decision makes some degree of difference. And the reason the world can be unfair and unjust is because of the sinfulness of decisions, both at an angelic realm and at a, at a, at a, a, a human level. Unfairness happens because of rebellion in the cosmos. It doesn't attach to the nature of God, which is why we don't need to and we shouldn't be picturing God up there with his little computer pushing disaster buttons or blessing buttons. Oh, Japan gets hit. Oh, we're, we're going to keep Kansas safe for right now. Uh, this kid gets cancer. That kid is healthy. This kid gets deported. That kid is safe. Uh, war happens here. Peace happens there. Marriage success, marriage failure. God's not out there pushing all those buttons. We push buttons with all the decisions that we make individually and collectively and in the angelic realm, but we've got to know this. Because of the nature of this kind of creation, not everything goes according to the way God wants it to go. Uh, there are free agents. So you can't trust that things are going to pan out okay in the nature of creation, but you can trust God. We must trust God. The world can be nasty, but God's never nasty. The world can be arbitrary. It is often arbitrary. But God is never arbitrary. You know, the Bible says that there's no shadow of turning in him, which means there's no fickleness in God. There's no arbitrariness of God. There's not a hint of cruelty of God. There's not a hint of darkness in God. There's not a hint of malice in God. God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. He's always on the side of good. He's the same. The, the creation is always changing. Circumstances are always changing because every vote, every decision is a vote that affects things this way or that way. But God is always the same. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Praise God. The one thing you can count on in the midst of this ever-shifting sea that is creation, with all of its sin and rebellion and arbitrariness, the one thing we can count on, that we must count on, is the character of God as he's revealed in Jesus Christ. In the middle of the storm, you've got to know who your anchor is, and your anchor is Jesus Christ. So it's very important that we don't take all of this arbitrariness and unfairness and just kind of project it onto God. No, it's about the nature of this creation. And it won't always be this way, praise God. Right now it is. And so sometimes all you can say is, 
crap happens. It just happens. And we don't know why. We can't know why. We're finite beings. But we've got to know who God is in the midst of it all. So then the question is this. We can't know the particulars of why things happen the way they do, so just let that one go. The question is, what do we do in response to it? How do we respond to this? Let me say four things really quick here, and then we'll take some questions. First of all, in some ways, this is the most fundamental thing. It's so, so, so crucial when unfairness hits. And it hits all of us to various degrees, some way more than others, but we all have to deal with this. Life's not fair. Your mother was right. Uh, but when it happens, it's so important that you don't fall into what we call in the booklet the fairness trap. The fairness trap. Or what we might call the, the woe is me syndrome. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, you fall into kind of self-pity. It's a demonic thing. It's a demonic thing. Um, there's a lady that I knew, uh, or I met, uh, a number of years ago. I'll call her Carmel. And Carmel was a sad person, the kind of person where, well, you know, there's some people that you, you, you meet and they sort of radiate the, the joy of the Lord, you know? And you just being around, you kind of feel this joy. Uh, other people you meet and it's less that. <laughs> uh, there's like a, I, sometimes I, 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 they radiate like a, a negativity. Or they're like a vortex. Kinda, you feel yourself getting sucked into their, their downerness. Downerness. There's, look that one up on Google. Um, okay, so Carmel, unfortunately, was, was kind of like this. And, and the this, this story that she told um, everybody was that it went back to her uh, dad when she was 10 years old. Her dad abandoned the family. It was up and left, apparently. And um, that not only broke her heart, uh, but it meant that the mother had to go to work to support the, the uh, four kids um, because the dad apparently paid no child support. And that meant that Carmel, who was the oldest of these four kids, had to take over a lot of the roles of being a mother. And so, as Carmel tells the story, she never got to have a, a childhood. She became a mother at the age of 10. Um, she never could excel at school because she never had time to do homework because she was taking care of the kids and she could never do any kind of extracurricular activities uh, like sports because she was too busy taking care of the kids. She could have been, she believes, a, a, a star basketball player. She had some natural talents, but she never got a chance to stand out because she was too busy taking care of the kids. She possibly could have got a college scholarship, first one in her family to ever go to college. She could have done that, but instead she had to take care of the kids. In fact, she didn't even finish high school because she had to take care of these kids. At the age of 19, more to get out of her situation than anything else, she ends up getting pregnant and marries this guy. But this guy, though he's a good provider and nice and never, never mean to her, she doesn't feel like this man appreciates who, her. Uh, in fact, she doesn't feel like any of her friends appreciate her. Uh, no one really appreciates her. No one has ever really appreciated her. She's got two kids that are healthy and wonderful, but, but yeah, while she's happy for that, she feels like she's settled. Uh, she could have been somebody, and now she is, quote-unquote, just a mom. And, and there's this negativity, oozing with negativity. And on top of that, she had a physical ailment. She had a thyroid issue, which meant she was tired a lot of the time. So it seemed to Carmel like, like uh, life is unfair, people are unfair, and God is unfair. And she was one miserable human being. She could have been, but now she's not. And see, here's the balance. On the one hand, on the one hand, you can't help but have empathy for this. That is a sad story. You know, a 10-year-old girl should not have to be a mother. That is sad. And, and dads should stay and not leave. And, and, you know, there's just a lot of things wrong with that story. Who can deny that? And so you have empathy. And it would be easy to say as an outsider and say, oh, buck up, happy camper. Some people have it worse than that. No, that'd be callous. 
On the other hand, Carmela needs somebody in her life who will get in her face and say, you know, girl, that was sad, but it's time to let it go. That was sad. It shouldn't have happened. But you know what, Carmel? You are letting that define you. You're letting your dad, you're empowering your dad in the circumstances of your upbringing and the things that you were denied to define you in the present. I mean, you got some kids to be thankful for. And your husband, so far as I could see, was a, was a great guy. And, 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 but there's this negativity there that now you look at the world through this negative perspective. So the glass is always half empty. And all you see is negativity. And that negativity is defining you. And somebody needs to get in their face and, and, and speak some truth like this. Uh, you know, you don't choose the hand that you're dealt, to use the old card analogy. And maybe you were dealt a bad, a bad deck. Yeah, that's fine, a bad hand. But how you play that hand is up to you. There are some choices here. You're, you don't have to live your life as your dad's victim or the victim of your circumstances or the victim of the things that you were denied. You're a child of God. You, you've got reason. If you let Jesus Christ define you rather than your abandoning dad, then you can know that you're a child of God. You're a queen in, in God's eyes. You're holy and blameless. You're his daughter. He rejoices over you. You've got reason to rejoice. You've got reason to be thankful. You've got reason to be happy. And there's a future for you if you'll just walk with God on this and trust with God on this and let God define you rather than your circumstances. But she fell trap to the fairness, the, the, the fairness syndrome, the woe is me syndrome, the fairness trap. It really is diabolical. We give ourselves permission to feel pity for more than a few minutes. Like a few minutes. We'll, we'll grant you that. We all do that. But if you choose to stay there, it will suck life out of you like few things can. It's the ultimate cosmic spiritual leech. It just will suck joy out of you, suck your future out of you. It just sucks. <laughs> Be aware of it. You can, you'll feel justified. You always feel justified. Oh, no one understands me. No one understands Okay. And yeah, compassion. There's a time when you've got to let it go and, and surrender to God and be defined uh, through Jesus Christ. So first thing is avoid the, the unfairness trap. Secondly, cultivate a servant attitude. Here's a principle you can take to the bank. If you want to be miserable, sit there and look at yourself. If you want to be joyful, start looking at other people. What I mean is this. It's the surest prescription for misery I know of. It's to sit there and stare at how life's been unfair to you. You know, just, just, just look in the mirror and, oh, I could have been, I should have been. And, and just look inside and, oh, just keep your mind there on yourself. Yeah, that will make you totally miserable. If you would rather be done with that, then if you want to get out of the misery of how unfair life has been to you, then cultivate an attitude of serving others. It really is a prescription for joy. We are made in the image of God, and God, we see in Jesus Christ, is a servant God. He's an other-oriented God. He, he, he gives himself away. It's in his nature, because he's perfect love, to give himself away. So guess what? We are most ourselves. We're most human. We are most doing what we are created to do, and we'll find the most joy and peace when we are doing that, when we're imitating Jesus Christ, when we're giving ourselves away in healthy ways now. Uh, not in ways that people walk over us, but in the way that we choose to come under them and serve them. So if you want to get out of the misery of how unfair life has been to you, I encourage you to develop, cultivate an other-oriented focus, an attitude of service towards others. Cultivate this habit of blessing people, just as you're driving down the street and walking in the malls, you just bless people. Just ascribe worth to them. Pray God's blessing on them. Use your influence as a kingdom person to call down power from heaven and, 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 and uh, improve their lives. Wish the best for all other people. If you want joy, uh, cultivate an attitude where you're willing to let the pain of others get under your skin and then you intercede for them in prayer. If you want to find joy and freedom from the misery of how unfair life has been, 
Put other people's pain ahead of your own pain, which is the Bible's teaching that we're supposed to esteem each other above ourselves for good and bad. When there's pain there, make their pain more important. And watch how this doesn't free you from the misery of your, your, your loathing of your unfairness of life. Learn how to serve. People who are miserable tend to be people who have too much time on their hand. Too much time to look at their miserable existence. No, get involved. Get involved. Serve in an inner city school. Serve at the church. Serve in a homeless shelter. Talk to your friends about how you together can serve. Get busy serving. And watch how that doesn't bring joy into your life. But uh, the needs of others in front of your own, and it frees us from this self-pity. However unfair life's been, put others in front of you. You can't choose the, the hand that you're dealt, uh, but, but you can choose how, how you play it. Play it in service to others. A third thing, a way to be free of this unfairness trap, is to learn how to give thanks. This is so important. This is so important. Do you know that there are over 100 verses in the Bible that command us to give thanks? These aren't recommendations. These are not little hallmark, you know, nice things to think about. These are commands. Give thanks. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love. Give thanks to the Lord for his mercy and endures forever. Over and over and over. Give thanks, give thanks, give thanks, give thanks. And that's not because God's up there saying, you didn't say thank you. No, it's for our sake. We are miserable when we are not thankful. We really are. And the best way to get out of your misery is to cultivate an attitude of being thankful. Here's a demonic thought, and it's, a, it, it's another prescription for misery. Here's, here's the thought. I am entitled to. I am owed. I have it coming. And we always mean by that, not the bad stuff, or, but the good stuff. I have a, I'm entitled to this. Because the minute you think you're entitled, you'll take it for granted. It's no longer something you're thankful for. No, it's expected. And we here in the Western world, this is a pandemic, and it's a diabolical stronghold. We're born thinking that life owes us something. God owes us something. People owe us something. When in reality, here's the news, folks. Read the memo. God doesn't owe you squat. People don't owe you squat, and life doesn't owe you squat. You don't even tell anything. Every breath you breathe is a gift existent lottery and, and earned this or something. No, no, th- this, is, this is all sheer gift. And see, that's why we need to cultivate an attitude where we look for the good stuff and give thanks for it. It's the best way to get out of misery you can think of, because the reality is, and this isn't just some kind of pop psychology, think positive thing. The reality is that we are in a world that the Bible calls, is surrounded by darkness, is spiritual oppression. And every single good thing is a result of God's grace and God's love breaking through the clouds of darkness and bringing something good to in our li- into our life. Amen. And we weren't owed it. We weren't owed it at all. No, it's, it's a matter of God's grace. And so I can sit up here and tell you my problems. You want to hear my problems? I got problems. I, I've been going through a season that just is Suckville on steroids. And, and I, could, I could... It is. But you know what? I'm sitting here looking at you, and I, thank God for that. I got eyes. I got eyes. Some people don't. I got ears. I can hear, I can hear you, and thank God for that. I'm standing up here. Praise God. I got legs, and they, they, they work. Not as good as they used to, but they still work. I got arms that, that, that work. I got a voice I can speak. You know, my heart that's still beating. Thank you, God, for that heartbeat. And now a breath I just took. Thank you, God, for that breath. And, and, and brainwaves that operate a little too fast sometimes, but thank God for those brainwaves. And I got a wife who loves me, and I got friends who love me, I got kids, and I got grandkids, I got so much to be thankful for. And we, we need to not take that for granted. Maybe you don't have a few of the things that I mentioned, but you got something, you're here right now. If you understand what I'm saying, there's something to be thankful for. 
And we need to be giving God thanks for every single thing, every single thing, every single thing. Amen, amen. Yes, Lord. Every breath we breathe. Give thanks to God. Nothing lifts your spirit like that. Just thank you, God. The smile on the bus, the kind gesture, someone who helps you. Hey, there's, all around us, there is goodness. You really, we, we cultivate either an attitude where we see the glasses half empty or half full. And as people of God, we're to say, thank you, God, for every drop that's in that glass. Because we didn't earn it. The last thing, and I'll close with this, and then we'll go to some questions. I've got to do this one very quickly. Is just, and we say this all the time, so I can say it quickly. Is just trust God. Trust that God is with you. Whatever you're going through, I don't think for a second that he brings the crap on us, but I do believe to the core of my being that he's got a plan for every ounce of crap that we go through. <laughs> uh, he does. He's a smart God. And he's with you in every circumstance because he loves you. And so most importantly, we, know he, we need to know that he hasn't abandoned us. He's with us. And we need to surrender the circumstance over to him. And sometimes that's hard. The thing is, is when the stuff hits the fan, when the stuff hits the fan, it never feels like God is with you, or rarely does, but, but, but he is there with you. I had a thing on Tuesday night, woke up, and um, I just felt, one in the morning, I got one hour of sleep, and that was it for the night, um, and, and I felt like I was on a spiritual attack. Now, it turned out to be a seven-hour wonderful prayer session, but the first hour was just like, like warfare. Um, I, I, my heart was racing, and I just felt, ah, oh, I woke up, and I was, it was nasty. And, and it wasn't just that I didn't feel God's presence. It was like I actually felt his absence. I don't know if you, if you it, it was weird. There was a, there was a, a negative energy there. It was, it was a spiritual attack, forces of evil. Um, there may also be a medical reason for this, because I have this new medication that I'm taking for some, some of the crap that I'm going through in my life right now. And it can have cause, you know, but see, a medical explanation doesn't rule it out also there being a spiritual explanation. Often the enemy rides on physical stuff into our lives. There was a spiritual dimension to this. And at that time, all I could do was this. I just had to choose to believe the truth. I didn't feel any of it. But I had to just say, as I'm just... In this warfare, God, I know you are real. God, I know you are love. God, I know that you are good all the time. God, I know you're for me, not against me. I know that you will never leave me or forsake me. I, I know that you're revealed in Jesus Christ. I know that you gave your life for me. I know that I'm your child and I'm filled with your spirit and I'm destined for heaven and I'm holy and blameless in your sight and you're on my side. And God, I know that you're here right now in this room even though I don't feel you. And I know that greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. And I bind the forces of evil and I had to just, I had to just plow forward with truth. Sometimes you just got to plow forward with truth. You choose to believe the truth. And you couldn't do that unless God was working in your life to empower you to do that. But God is there, and so you choose to believe the truth and say the truth and see the truth, envision the truth, regardless of what you feel when this stuff is hitting the fan. And see, that is how God, we invite God in on this, and now he gets to work and start to bring good out of it. And we just trust that every, everything we go through, however negative it may be, he can weave into his beautiful plan, and he's victorious in Jesus Christ. So don't fall into the, 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 the fairness trap. Cultivate a servant attitude. Give thanks to God at all times and trust that he's always with you. What are the questions that came in as I was talking? We've got about 10 minutes. Not quite 10 minutes. From Phil. The prevalence of the prince, princes of Persia and Greece make it sound like there are demons that can prevent the will of God. How do you reconcile this with the omnipotence of God? Wonderful question. Here's the thing. You have... Uh, it, 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 God is omnipotent, all-powerful. Um, but as we said a few weeks ago, if you were here, 
the kind of power he exercises as we look to Jesus Christ now to understand what, what, does, what does omnipotence look like? What does all-powerful look like? We can't just sort of think of that on our own philosophical reasoning. We've got to let God tell us what that is. And he tells us in Jesus Christ. And that kind of power is not a Neanderthal power. That is a brute force power. It's not the power to just say, I decree and it's going to be the way I want it. I know Jesus is the manifestation of God's omnipotence by becoming vulnerable and letting himself get crucified. Because his omnipotence is a, is, is a power of love, not the power of Neanderthal coercive force. So yes, God is all-powerful, and he wins in the end. And he sets the parameters for all that takes place in his creation. And in that sense, he's in control of everything. But obviously, we, to some degree, and angelic beings, to some degree, and demons, to some degree, can prevent his will from coming to pass. That's what sin is. Sin is rebelling against God's will. And we interfere with his plan, to some degree. And that's what we see happening in Daniel chapter 10. What happens to the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece and other principalities and powers is they, just, they have what we have, this free will, this say-so, this vote power. They just have it on a cosmic level, whereas we have it on the realm of, of influence that we have uh, in, in our lives. Okay, next question from Linda. What's the point of praying if there are so many ifs? Is it just to show God that we're trying to leave the lines of communication open and we trust him? Brilliant. Uh, it does do that. It keeps the line of communication open. That's a good in and of itself. Um, and uh, we're inviting him in on the circumstance. That's a good in and of itself. But here's the thing. Every decision we make is a vote, right? It influences, it impacts things. It causes ripple effects. Same is true on an angelic level. But if we trust his word, he tells us, and in time we see it in our own experience to some degree, that one of the greatest votes we can cast is to pray. Voting or praying is, I think, our, our greatest voting power. Uh, what we do on our knees is way more important than what we do in the booth once every four years or once every two years, and certainly more important than what we, the little decisions we make all, all day long. What we do on our God has wired it into creation since, since relationship with him is all important. Uh, he wires it into creation that our communication with him has an impact on the world in a way that our physical activity never could. Which is why there are more if-then statements associated with prayer in the Bible than any other human activity. If you pray, this will happen. If you ask, you will receive. If you do warfare, then this will happen. And so, though there is this multitude of variables that are going on in this world with all the free choices, we know that we have say-so that matters when we align our hearts with God and we pray, God, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let it be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's not magic. It doesn't guarantee that we're going to get what we're praying for, but we already knew that. Right? But it always brings about more kingdom influence and moves the world in a kingdom direction. We had in these, uh, the last two services before this one some other incredible questions. Uh, and and you, when we put up these things online, the messages online, uh, we include all the questions from the previous services. So if you want to find out kind of other questions that people had, I encourage you to go. Uh, you can skip the whole sermon, but just go to the end and find out what other questions people ask. Or maybe you want to listen to the whole thing because I talk so fast you need to get it twice just to get it down. I don't know. It's possible. So to summarize, when, when, when the unfairness happens, and it sooner or later will to all of us in various degrees, avoid the, unfair, the, the fairness trap. Don't fall into the self-pity thing. Rebuke it in Jesus' name. Cultivate a heart of serving towards others. Give thanks for every positive thing in your life. Just make it a, a habit. Be addicted. Be a compul- Go OCD on gratitude. <laughs> make it so as a thought. You can't, I just can't stop thanking God for stuff. There's another thing to thank God for. What a wonderful thing to be OCD on. All right. 
when, when the unfairness happens, and it sooner or later will to all of us in various degrees, avoid the, unfair, the, the fairness trap. Don't fall into the self-pity thing. Rebuke it in Jesus' name. Cultivate a heart of serving towards others. Give thanks for every positive thing in your life. Just make it a, a habit. Be addicted. Be a compul- Go OCD on gratitude. <laughs> make it so it's a thought. You can't, I just can't stop thanking God for stuff. Look, there's another thing to thank God for. What a wonderful thing to be OCD on. All right. And finally, trust God. Trust that God is there. God is there. God is present. Whatever you feel, just trust on his word that he is there. From Anonymous, do believers have any authority over principalities like the Prince of Persia? Excellent question. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, this is, this is a hot one. This is, uh, this is debated by Christians all over the place. In fact, like, there's Christians who have like, split up denominations over this question. Uh, is it any of our business to come against the principalities and powers kind of thing? My briefest answer, and that's what I have to give here, is, is this. I, I can't definitively say that we don't have any influence against the principalities and powers uh, and that it, that it doesn't do good to pray against the principalities and powers and do warfare on a territorial level. I'm not talking about coming against demonic powers, which of course we're supposed to do, but are we supposed to against, go against geographical principalities and powers? I, I, I can't say definitively that we shouldn't, but on the other hand, it's significant to me that Daniel, here the angel says, you know, you take care of issues here on the earth. I'm going to go back and fight the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece. He doesn't say, Daniel, I want you to fight them. He does it. And the pre- there's no precedent, no clear precedent for humans taking on those things. Now, on the other hand, I don't, if God leads you to pray against that, then do that. But because there's no clear precedent in the Bible, I would be careful about investing too much of a ministry and too much time and too much money in doing that. Because there's no clear authority for it. I, I'd rather do the stuff that clearly we are supposed to do and spend most of my uh, time and energy on that. Excellent question. Appreciate it. Another question. So the story about the Goshens was to illustrate a point. But a true, but a true story where we could see all those variables would be more helpful. <laughs> Thanks a lot. It's the best I could do. <laughs> we'll see. Have any. <laughs> Touche. All right. No. Well, see, here's the thing. Here's the thing. What we get in the book of Daniel is a little peekaboo behind the screens of heaven. Um, we wouldn't know, th- and, and even this I'm just theorizing based on what we find here in, in, in the book of Daniel. But see, this is why I think God wants us to be paying attention to the issues and the warfare that's on our level. is because we're told hardly anything about the particulars of what goes on in the spiritual realm. Uh, and, and so it's impossible for me to give you a true life account of that unless God were to reveal a true life account of that because otherwise we, we can know that there are principalities and powers, that the job of these angels is to oversee areas, that a lot of them have rebelled against God. We, 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 we can know about that. That all that makes a difference here on the earthly plane, that we can know. But all the particulars? I have no idea. I have no idea. Uh, for all I know, for all I know, um, maybe the reason why my wife and I are right now going through, uh, one of the reasons, because there's always a lot of influences here, but one of the reasons maybe why we're going through a particular hard time um, has to do with some, some confluence in the spiritual realm. Maybe, maybe one of our guardian angels had to get reassigned someplace, and, and now, now we're taking some hits for it, for all I know. You know and so we pray, God, send us more angels, you know, and those prayers make a difference. But see, I don't know about that, neither do you, unless God were to reveal it. And so we can lay out the principles, but we can't, we can't ever illustrate it with particular examples unless God were to give us those particular examples. Does that follow? But anyway, it was a very good point. Okay, uh, well, uh, time for one more question. From Char- Charlotte. 
Your view accounts for a lot of influences on our lives, but it seems hopelessly complex. Isn't, isn't it better to believe that God has it all under control? Okay, very, very good. I appreciate that. Uh, it's exactly the kind of honest question that, that uh, we're hoping to get. On the one hand, it is hopelessly complex. Thank God we don't got to figure it out. And that's part of the point, is to show how we can't figure all this out. I think it's a waste of time to try, because you'd have to be omniscient to know all of the, all the reasons that went into all the factors, every possible influence, going back to the uh, you know, 6th century B.C. as to why I've got a caffeinated bottle of Coke here sitting on a stand. And actually, I didn't order this. I ordered it caffeinated. Why would you ever drink uncaffeinated? But this is what came out, and I didn't want to spend an extra dollar. So now we've got to figure out why did the wrong bottle of pop come out? And you've got to know the history of the universe to answer that one. I'd just rather blame it on Coke. Okay. So, so, but the purpose of showing how it is hopelessly complex is to free us, see, to free us from feeling that we've got to always figure this out. But also, see, it frees us from thinking that it's all about God pulling the strings. As though God is up there just pulling all the knobs and pushing all the buttons and decreeing which kid's going to get kidnapped and raped and which isn't. See, that can have a negative fallout. So when you say, isn't it better to believe that God's got it all under control? I want to say yes and no. Yes, of course, he's got it all under control. If you mean by that, is he going to win in the end? Yes. Does anything happen that, that he doesn't have a plan to put to use? No. I, does he set the parameters? Is he influencing everything? Can he bring good out of evil? Uh, yes, absolutely. He's got it all under control in that way. But if you mean, is he meticulously controlling things? Well, now you've got to then say that, that every... If you're going to believe that, uh, then you have to say that, that every child gassed at Auschwitz was exactly what God wanted. And it all contributes to the good. It would be worse if the less kids were gassed because everything God does is for the good. And if God's controlling that, well, then somehow it must be good that all these kids were gassed. It would have been bad if one less was gassed. Yeah, good luck with that one. See, I, I, and I, I think it, it's, it fits the paradigm of who, of who God's revealed to be in Jesus, and at least as I read Scripture and the experience of our life. Say God's in control, but when it comes to the arbitrariness and the randomness and the cruelty and the evil and all of that, I've got reasons to think, Daniel... Uh, 10 being a case in point, reason to think that God's not the micro-controlling God that some people think he is. He's got it all under control, but the, 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 the choices of, of angels and the choices of humans, they make a difference. They make a difference. And they all together bring about every aspect of creation that's not aligned with God's will. If part of the problem arises from a lack of angelic power, then why does God not simply create or commission more angels? <laughs> yeah, that is really good. Okay. That is a brilliant question. It's a little bit, oh, I can't explain this one very well, but it's, it's very much like, okay, I'm just going to say this and then you can chew on it the way home. Uh, but it, it's, it, it's very much like the question of why can't, the, why can't the U.S. just keep on printing out more paper money? Okay, there's a shortage of money. You know, why, why can't you just print, print, print out more? You know, just make it out of thin air. Well, you see, there are rules that, that, that have to operate if you're going to even have an economy and just trust that those rules prevent you from just making money out of thin air. It's the same thing with, with, with human beings or whatever. If there's a, human beings are at war, why can't God just all of a sudden, poof, make more human beings uh, to, uh, to, uh, that, that are necessarily good to fight the evil? Well, it just can't work like that. There are metaphysical reasons behind that. On top of that, I just say this, that... If it's the case that the part of the role of human beings and the part of the role of angels is to choose to submit to God's love and be transformed by that love and eventually reflect that love, and if that's got to be free, then creating more angels isn't going to solve the problem. 
Uh, because you st- they still can decide whether or not they want to be for or against you. So you could just complicate the problem. Uh, so uh, it, it, it looks like an easy solution, but like the economy, uh, it's, it, it's, it's not nearly that simple. But it's a brilliant question. Thanks. Uh, second uh, question. If God is not cruel, but the crap is from other forces, what about Old Testament accounts of God ordering the slaughter of men, women, and children? We had to go there, didn't we? <laughs> the, I'm writing a book on this one. Uh, and right now the book is already up to about 500 pages. So now, I'm, now my question is how to get 500 pages into one minute. I would just say this. Uh, and, and again, that is, that is exactly the right question. And there isn't a simple answer to this, all right? Uh, this one takes, well, actually, both these questions take a lot of going into if you're going to flush it out. But it's very important, all important, when you're asking this question to know what you know and know what you don't know. What we know is God revealed in Jesus Christ. He's the perfect revelation of God, the perfect expression of God. That has got to be our cue as to what God is like. Then we look to the Old Testament. In fact, the only reason I take the Old Testament seriously as an inspired book is because Jesus did, and I have reasons to think that he is Lord God. And so I now I'm going to take it seriously because uh, out of obedience to him. But I'm certainly not going to let the Old Testament trump what I know about God and, and, and Jesus that he put in the cart before the horse. No, no, I, I, know, I know who God is uh, uh, in Jesus. The question, if I don't understand that, well, then I'll just say I don't understand it. But I can't ever, I don't think we should ever let the Old Testament stuff trump what we know about God and Jesus. And, and I, as part of an explanation, I, I would just say this. If Jesus is our, our cue as to what God is like and we're to read the whole Old Testament in the light of Jesus, then one of the central things we know about God in Jesus is this. He's a God who enters into our humanity. He's a God who takes on our limitations. And he's a God who bears our sin. That's, what, that, that's the core of what Jesus does and since Jesus reveals, Hebrews 1.3, God's steadfast character, God has always been like this. Now, he only became incarnate and was only crucified in history once. But that one event reveals what God has always been like. So he takes on our humanity and takes on our sin. Which means, as I read the Old Testament, i got to be asking the question, what parts of the Old Testament are God bearing the sin of people? He was, they're still revelatory because they reveal a God who's willing to do this. They anticipate uh, what God did in Jesus Christ, uh, becoming a human being and dying on the cross. They reveal God's character, but they reveal God's character because they show the depth to which God is willing to stoop to deal with human beings in this fallen condition. And so God takes on our violence, takes on the, uh, an appearance that's very different from the way he really is, as revealed in Christ, but, but the, the, the appearance isn't what reveals God. It's rather his willingness to take on that appearance that reveals God. It's a little bit like, and I'll close with this, Nanny McPhee. Uh, Nanny McPhee, if you've ever seen either of those two, two, two movies. Uh, they're in one sense, terrible movies. But on the other hand, they're, they're, they're kind of brilliant. Because Nanny McPhee shows up and she looks kind of nasty and, you know, like a tooth hanging out, warts and kind of witchy. Um, but then, but she's really a very loving, wonderful nanny. And she comes to these rebellious kids, and, and she looks really mean and nasty and ominous to these, these rebellious kids. But as the kids gradually learn that it's in their interest to go along with her program, she gradually takes on the appearance of this beautiful woman. 
Emma Thompson, in fact, was just bad. Uh, and, and, and she becomes more and more, 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 and more beautiful. Well, I, I, I think that's what we find in, in the Bible. Uh, God takes on whatever. To relate to this people means you, you, you bear this package. You, you take on this, this. He'll look as nasty as our hearts require him to look. And, but he does that. That's his incarnational nature in order to gradually reveal who he really is. And that's what we find in Jesus Christ. Okay, so, so as, we, as, as, as we close this service, remember this. When it happens, when the randomness happens, when the unfairness happens, guard against the temptation to fall into the unfairness trap. It's so important. And we do that by having this other orientation, cultivating a servant attitude. We do this by, by, by committing to bless people at all times, to pray for people at all times. We, we, we do this by cultivating an attitude where we give thanks for every single positive thing in our life, to become a people who habitually give thanks. And finally, we do this by trusting that God is always with us, always with us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. Even when it feels like he's not there, he is. And we just trust. We just choose to believe the truth. I'm going to pray, and I, and I want to ask the prayer teams to come forward. And if you're here uh, this morning and have any need whatsoever uh, that you'd like to have prayed for, I encourage you to come forward and, and pray with these folks. Father, and we just thank you for, for the, the freedom that we have to be real, to be out loud, to ask questions, to wrestle with you. We also thank you for the assurances that you give us that you're a God who's good all the time in every situation. God, help us, especially those who right now, whether they're listening through podcasts or television or they're in the auditorium, those who are going through the crap happening right now, Lord, I, I just pray, Lord, that you uh, reassure them that you are there. And help them to have an attitude of gratitude to see you working in their lives and to be a people who live in service to others. Build your kingdom in us. Build your kingdom through us. We submit our lives to you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Go out and build the kingdom.